What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Episode 21 of the podcast to be named later. I am your host for this evening, Stephen Tolbert, and uh, we are on the Battery Power Podcast Network. Typically, I'm joined by my buddy and pal, uh, our boss, Chris Willis. He's normally my, my co-host and the main host of this show, but he had some stuff come up unexpected in the last couple of days, and so we're actually going to rock a solo podcast this evening. And, you know, look, these, these things are tough, talking to yourself for 30, 45 minutes about one subject is pretty tricky to do, actually. Brad Roland does them often, uh, especially on the Hawks side of his coverage, and, and he makes them look very easy, and they're they're very much not easy. So, you know, if this thing sucks, then you're, you're probably never going to know about it because it won't ever air. And um, But if it's, you know, if you're listening to this now, then it didn't suck too bad. And yeah, we're just going to see how it goes. But um, yeah, we're just going to jump into some topics tonight and then, and then uh, see how far we get. So let's get to it. All right, so the first topic... I'm going to jump into tonight is we're going to talk a little bit about payroll for the 2023 team. Uh, Justin Toscano of the AJC today wrote a story and the, the, the tweet that went along with the story essentially said that internally the Braves had, had discussed potentially going over the luxury tax, depending on the player and the deal. It had to be the right player, it had to be the right deal stuff that you've all heard before and doesn't actually mean a whole lot. It's it's more kind of fluff. But and I've talked about this a, a bit on Twitter, but I did want to make sure we're covering it on on the show. And since I'm by myself tonight, I thought it better no better time than now to to cover some of the stuff. But if you don't know, the Braves luxury tax payroll is about as it stands now, or at least as it's projected now, about 220, 220, 222 million, something like that. And the reason it's a projected payroll is because we don't actually know the numbers of all the guys who are going to be on the team next year. Um, there's guys like Max Fried, who's in arbitration, AJ Mentor, who's in arbitration. And for those contracts, we just use projections. We use uh, MLB Trade Rumors has a really good projection system every year. And, and so we just use those numbers as kind of the plug-in values. And, you know, it could go up or down depending on what those guys actually signed for. And then how many pre-arb players, how many league minimum guys, how many, you know, minor league 40-man guys there are. It does have some variance to it. But generally speaking, the 40-man CBT payroll sits at about $222 million. The first level of luxury tax is $232 million. So that's the first level you get to where you, if you go over, you have a penalty. And so obviously some simple math, the Braves have about $10 million projected, again, 
you know, there's a there's room for error here, depending on what Max signs for and Mentor and, and guys like that. But, you know, with some room for error, the Braves have around $10 million to spend before they get to the first luxury tax threshold. Now, $10 million is not a lot of money, obviously. If you've spent any time paying attention to major league contracts, you can spend $10 million I mean, instantaneously, just for a point of reference, a guy like somebody who's been mentioned as a potential replacement for Dansby, if Dansby signs signs somewhere else, is a guy like uh, Ahmed Rosario, who's the shortstop for the Cleveland Guardians. And Ahmed is, you know, he's a solid player. He's like a two-win player, Uh, just a solid, everyday Major League shortstop. He's not a star. He's not going to carry you to anything. He's just kind of a solid veteran player. Rosario makes $9 million next year in arbitration. That's his arbitration number for 2023. Nine million. So that's how quickly ten million can go out the window. Just you know, just a solid guy on your team, just a kind of a a role player, a solid vet can easily make ten million dollars. So if that's all you have to spend, then you really don't have any room at all to do anything of any significance. And that's where the Braves kind of are if they draw some sort of hard line at the first luxury tax threshold. We don't know that they're going to do that. I don't think they're going to do that. It would be quite a turn of events if they had spent however long they've spent talking about, you know, payroll going up and how strong attendance was and, you know, all these things that lead to, you know, higher and higher payroll. For them to spend, you know, the first month of the offseason bringing that up multiple times and then not going over the luxury tax and, and and fielding a worse team just to save money would be a very bad look. I mean, that would just be, and that's why people like me and Brad and, and Chris and, and others have said, you know, if they do that, then, you know, they deserve the criticism for that because that that would be a really bad move just optically, but it would also just be a really bad move in general. I mean, you know, you can't brag about how, how many fans came to watch your team for an entire season, last two seasons, really. And then, you know, balk at the very first luxury tax threshold, especially when the first luxury tax threshold is such a hilariously small penalty. I don't know if people know this or not, but, you know, if you go over the tax for the first time, the only thing that's taxed is whatever you go over. So let's say you go over $10 million. Let's say, you know, instead of a $232 million payroll, you have a $242 million payroll, right? You go over $10 million. So that $10 million you go over is the only thing that's taxed, and it's taxed at 20%. And obviously 20% of $10 million is $2 million. So for a $242 million payroll, your entire tax would be $2 million. That would be the penalty for going over. And that's how small it is. And that's why it absolutely cannot be a real deterrent for going out and doing anything significant, because that's just a, I mean, $2 million is a lot of money in, in you know, normal life terms for, for you and me. But $2 million to a baseball team, especially a baseball team that has a $240 million payroll, is quite honestly nothing. I mean, that's that's very easily spent. And, you know, that's why teams who have bigger payrolls have no problem paying the luxury tax. Now, it does go up. If you stay in the luxury tax for multiple years, and depending on how much you go over, that percentage does go up. And it can get to the point where it is an actual deterrent. But the Braves are nowhere close to that. The Braves have never, or at least not in the modern times, in, in the Anthopolis era, or really even in this century, the Braves have not been a luxury tax team. So they have all the incentive in the world to go over. And, you know, if you if you want to add a shortstop, if 
you want to make a trade, you know, they they should be willing to make a, a large move this offseason because, you know, they're trying to win a World Series. They're in the middle of their contention window and preventing yourself from fielding a better team to save a couple million dollars in, in a luxury tax bill is just short-sighted. And I, I don't think they would do that, but I did want to get that out there, you know, on the pod. Just, you know, you're going to hear a few times this offseason or multiple times this offseason. Will the Braves go over the luxury tax? Won't they, go, won't they go over the luxury tax? And just so everyone's crystal clear on it, if the Braves decide not to go over the luxury tax, then that means they really can't do much of anything this offseason. It's going to be a very, very, very slow offseason with nothing but minor moves. And that's why this matters. And that's why it's important. That's why I wanted to bring it up. First subject off tonight. Um, but yeah, the Braves are right up against the luxury tax and their decision on whether or not they're willing to go over it will dictate a lot of what they do this offseason and quite frankly, if they can do anything. So just something to watch for. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, switching gears here. Uh, the 2022 winter meetings are starting this week. Start on Sunday and go through Wednesday, I believe. And if you don't know, and you might not know because it's been a few years since we've had a winter meetings, but the winter meetings are essentially the big winter event of the off season for major league baseball. All of the teams come usually to a, you know, warm city, usually San Diego or, or Florida, somewhere warm, obviously because it's held in December and, and this year it's in San Diego, but they all gather in, you know, some hotel somewhere. Every team comes, every team brings their, you know, their critical contingent of front office people, all the major agents for all the free agents are there, even agents of guys who aren't free agents, you know, potential trade candidates, stuff like that. So it's a it's a really big event. There was no winter meetings last year in 2021, obviously because of the lockout. The lockout was on December 2nd. And the winter meetings usually are sometime in the first week or two weeks of December. And, and so last year it got, it was part, it was one of the casualties of the lockout. And then 2020, there was no winter meetings because of the pandemic. And so we haven't actually had a winter meeting since 2019. And once upon a time, it was a event that led to quite a few deals, quite a few signings, even a few trades. You know, I'm old enough to remember, you know, when I was a kid, the winter meetings were kind of what kicked off the off season for a lot of teams. You know, November was a pretty quiet month typically. And then the winter meetings really is what kind of launched the off season. A lot of big moves, a lot of big signings, a lot of, a lot of trades and just basically because of proximity, right? I mean, everybody's there. You could talk to anybody. You could just knock on a door and, and have a face-to-face conversation. And, and, you know, teams got very aggressive in that setting. They would try to get deals done. And, you know, there's kind of a famous story about the Dansby Swanson, uh, Shelby Miller trade. Uh, Bowman dropped that in his, uh, he tweeted that out a little earlier tonight. You definitely go check that out. It's a, it's a really funny story, but, you know, it happened at the winter meetings. It, it was done because the Braves GM at the time, John Coppolella, was able to meet with the Diamondbacks GM, Dave Stewart, and they 
actually sat down and and kind of hashed out a deal, and it, it's become one of the, the more infamous deals in, in baseball history at this point. But, you know, proximity does matter in, in these things, and, and, you know, having everybody, really all the major decision makers and, and key players in baseball in one basically hotel, you know, one giant hotel area at once, uh, stuff happens. And so that's what we're kind of hoping for. We're hoping that it'll loosen things up. It's been a really it's been a really slow off season so far. Not a lot has happened. You know, Jose Abreu signed with the Astros. Edwin Diaz signed before even free agency even started. But, you know, other than that and a couple of relievers, it's been not a lot. We've been waiting on kind of the bigger names to, to figure out what they're going to do. And then, you know, a lot of the guys wait until the, the top guys sign. And then that kind of sets the market for everybody else. So we'll see if anything happens this this week. The, for the Braves, there are some needs that they are looking to address. You know, they don't have a ton of needs, but they do have some critical ones. Everyone knows shortstop is the the top one. What they do there is going to dictate a lot, but also left field, right? What are they going to get out of left field? Do, do, are they comfortable with Rosario, a bounce back? At the very least, do they go get him a platoon partner, or, or maybe they shoot for bigger than that and go try to find an everyday player, you know, especially if they don't feel like they're going to be able to re-sign Dansby. That may make some sense. Um, Alex always looks for bullpen help, so you guys know that. Obviously, Kenley Jansen is is a free agent now. He was on the team last year, and, and as, it is highly unlikely that he's going to be re-signed by the team. Uh, the, there's not anybody I've heard that thinks the Braves would uh, pony that kind of money up again for Jansen, even though he had a solid year last year. He, he wasn't he wasn't all world or anything, but he he had a solid year. Helped the Braves, you know, win 101 games. So, but I haven't heard anybody who thinks the Braves are going to re-sign him. So, never be shocked if the Braves, you know, look at bullpen help. And then, you know, there's always that question of a starter. Do the Braves need a starter? Could they use a starter? Pretty much every team could use a starter. The Braves have been linked to Degrom in the past. I just it seems like quite a bit of water has been poured on that rumor since the offseason started. It just I said this in the in one of our episodes during the season, but I'll believe the Braves are going to drop forty five million dollars on one guy when I see it, and not a minute before. I don't, I don't care how good they are. I just I can't imagine the Braves spending that much money on one player. That's pretty much what it's going to cost to sign Degrom. It's going to cost forty forty five million dollars a year to sign him. So. I don't see that happening, but I could see a scenario where the Braves do add a starter if they don't feel like they can do a lot elsewhere. If if the position player market doesn't, you know, shake out the way they want, and Alex has done this before, where, you know, he can't go get the the position he wants directly, so he kind of indirectly improves the team by, you know, adding it to another position and and you know trying to just increase the overall talent level of the team. And you know, I could see that happening if if the Braves can't find a shortstop or left fielder that they really, really like, can't find a deal that they like, you know, do they go grab another starter and try to improve the team there? That'll that's all kind of the the big needs for the Braves. And so that's kind of what I'm looking for for the winter meetings. There are some larger events on Sunday, the first day of the meetings, the Hall of Fame contemporary era ballots are released. If you don't know what that is, then uh, the Hall of Fame created this 16-person committee that will essentially vote on some of the bigger names that have been off the ballot. Albert Bell, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Don Mattingly, Fred McGriff, Dale Murphy, Rafael Palmero, and Kurt Schilling are the names that are on the ballot. And the results of that ballot get announced Sunday, I think Sunday night. I don't, I don't actually know the time, but um, essentially... You know, it's a it's kind of a way to to get past the general voting process. And if if the 16 person committee votes you on it, you have to get 12, 12 votes out of the 16 to be elected to the Hall of Fame. So it's still very tough. And, you know, I would not be surprised if none of those guys get 
get voted 12, 12 out of 16 is not easy to do. So, And there are some notable names that are on the committee, for, at least for Brace fans. Greg Maddox and Chipper Jones are both part of the 16-person committee, so that could definitely help guys like Dale Murphy and, and Fred McGriff. But, you know, it, it's still a, a tough bar to clear. So I, I, I don't know if I would get my hopes up if you're somebody who's always wanted Dale Murphy or Fred McGriff in the Hall of Fame. And I, there are a lot of people out there who are, I'm, you know, personally I'm a, a big hall guy. I, I, I'm fine with letting, you know, more guys in just as a celebration of baseball, but you know, some people prefer it to be as small as possible. And I get that too. But if you're a big hall guy, if you want to see Murphy and McGriff in, then that gets announced, uh, Sunday. That's the first day of the, of the winter meetings on Monday, the all MLB team gets announced. So, you know, it's very similar to the all NBA team. You just at every position, the best players um, get voted on as an all NBA team. There's no game or anything. It's just kind of an honor. And it's kind of what I would prefer to see kind of the all-star game move to. I'm, I'm really lost a lot of interest in the all-star game over the years and would much rather guys get some rest in the middle of the season and just go to kind of the all NBA format that the NBA does. But, you know, that gets announced Monday. So just be aware of that. And then Tuesday, it's actually the very first the very first draft lottery. So obviously, if you followed the CBA talks last year, then it's no longer just the worst record in baseball gets the top pick in the draft, which is how it's been for a long time. You know, it was just inverse order of record. Whoever had the worst got the first pick, the second worst got the second pick, and so on. But now they're actually going to do a draft lottery. So uh, exactly what the NBA does, having the worst record from the year before gives you the best odds of getting the number one pick in the draft, though I, I don't actually have those odds in front of me, but you know, it does, it's not a guarantee the way it used to be. And, and this was part of the CBA that was done in, in efforts to, to curtail some tanking, you know, the, that's a big deal among the players about teams who aren't trying to win and just trying to get draft picks. And they didn't want it, it to be a one-to-one, you know, if you lose the most games, you get the number one draft pick. So the inaugural draft will be Tuesday. So the third day of the winter meetings. And then Wednesday, the last day, is always the kind of the big event is the Rule 5 draft. And that's kind of where players who were left off of the 40-mans um, by the respective teams but have been in their organization for, I think, five years. I think that's the cutoff is five years. If you've been in the organization five years and you haven't been put on the 40-man yet, then then any team in baseball can draft you to be on their 40-man. Um, the only rule is they have to be put on the active roster for the entire season, or you have to send that player back to the originating team, is pretty much the general you know idea of the draft. It's essentially so teams can't just hoard prospects in the in the minors and never give them a chance to to be major leaguers. It's it's actually a pretty good process. I, I it's I understand why it's done because guys sometimes don't get chances with the organizations that they're with, and and if they were in a different organization, they would get a chance. And so this is kind of what that does is. You know, if you have a prospect that you did not protect by putting him on your 40-man roster, then then he could be picked by any team that's um, in baseball. And I believe that order is still done by record. So if you had the worst, if you had the worst team in last year's uh, regular season, then you pick first, and and then the second worst team second, and so on. So that happens on Wednesday. But yeah, I mean, I'm I along with every other person in baseball are just that we're just hoping that the the winter meetings finally just you know breaks the dam just unclogs the off season and and we finally get some moves. I'm there was some talk about this this week and and I've contributed to it on Twitter. I, I think I'm becoming part of team signing periods for the off season where 
you know, you have a, the World Series ends kind of first week of November and then maybe have a signing period that starts five days after the World Series and ends the last day of the winter meetings. So that's pretty much a month where that's your that's the first and primary signing period of the offseason. And that's when teams can can sign players. And then after that last day of the winter meetings, there's a dead period where you can still make trades, but there's no signing free agents. And I like that idea because it it pushes a lot of the action up to around the same time. You know, one of the byproducts of the lockout last year, and this was kind of certainly unintentional, but because the lockout happened on December 2nd, it essentially created a signing period for the for the first month of the offseason. And what we saw was a ton of moves, way more moves, way more big moves than we've ever seen really in the offseason before, you know, before before Christmas, but before even the middle of December, we it was really in the first month of the offseason because they had to get done before the lockout or you had to risk not having your offseason done until the first week of March or, you know, second week of March or whenever the lockout got lifted. And so teams really did push. And I, I've, I think I'm a fan of that idea. And you would still definitely have a second signing period. You know, you could have a signing period that starts in February or, you know, February 1st and goes through the end of spring training or something like that. But, you know, signing periods, they do push action. They do drive interest. You know, you can kind of know that deals are going to happen here. They're not going to happen here. This is when you pay attention. You know, once you get through the signing period, you could push a lot of your awards. You know, you could push your Rule 5 draft. You could push your Hall of Fame stuff. You know, you could you could find ways to fill the dead period when you couldn't sign players to, you know, to a lot of your offseason stuff. But, yeah, I'm a big fan of signing periods. I think I, this this long, slow slog of an offseason is just really brutal at times. And, you know, teams and players just have months and months and months to, to stretch out their leverage and, and play the field as much as possible and, and drag their feet. And it just leads to such a boring offseason. And interest in Major League Baseball just tanks, you know, for these months. And I, I think signing periods would be a way to, to improve that and, and you know, it's something that's been talked about by a few national folks, and so hopefully it gains traction. I'm actually a pretty big fan of it, but we'll see. Hopefully the, the winter meetings will be the kickoff of, of some big stuff. You know, Aaron Judge is the big name. You know, he's already reportedly got a an eight-year, $300 million offer on the table from the Yankees, which is significant considering Aaron Judge is 31 years old. You know, he's not a 27-year-old or 28-year-old like a lot of free agents who get those kind of big deals are. He's 31. And he's got some injury history, so the fact that he's already got eight years and three hundred million on the table is significant, and we'll see if that. You know, I would love for him to sign just to kickstart everything else. I think if he did sign, he could be the catalyst for a lot of other guys. I would love to see one of the big shortstops sign. I would love to see Correa, Turner, or Bogart sign just to set the market for everybody else and see if we can get something rolling. But yeah, that's what we're, that's what we're kind of watching for over the next. Well, this will go out Friday, so, and the the winter menu starts Sunday. So those four days, you know, we I would not be surprised if there was more action in those four days than there has been in the, you know, four weeks leading up to it. So we'll see. Hopefully, I, I'm I'm ready for some some moves to be made, and even if it's not the Braves, I mean, heck, even if it's another team, at least we can start knocking off some of these options and you know process of elimination, and you can just see who's going where, who fits where, you know, if, if, if Philly signs a shortstop, then that's one shortstop off the market and one team that needs a shortstop off of the market, you can, you know, you can at least start connecting dots, but man, when it's nobody doing anything, then it's just, you know, we just kind of stare at each other and scroll through Twitter and 
pray to God that something drops at some point, and, you know, God forbid if you're somebody who has to make content. That's what we have to do, is we have to make content, and coming up with content when literally nothing is happening for over a month is brutal, and, you know, we're we're about ready to start ranking office episodes here pretty soon if we don't get something, so hopefully the winter meetings will, will pick up, and there have been some rumors with the Braves. You know, we don't get a ton of rumors because Alex is a is a pretty quiet worker. One of the actually one of the most quiet front offices you'll ever see. They do a really really good job of not leaking information. Usually, the only time you get a Braves rumor if it comes from the other side, if it comes from the the player that they're talking to, you know that information getting out, or or the team that they're talking to, that information getting out. That's really the only time. But we have seen them linked to a couple of guys. Uh, I know they were linked to Mitch Haniger. It wasn't the strongest link. They were just mentioned as a team that had showed interest. Um, Haniger's market has gotten pretty big from what I gather. There's quite a bit of interest. I think the projections on him were something like three years, $40 million, uh, from MLB trade rumors when they did their when they did their projections. And some of the other sites had him even less than that. You know, two years, $12 million. I think one had him for like... Two years, eighteen million, something like that. Something you know, reasonable contracts. But I think his market is actually going to be bigger than that. I think he's probably going to be closer to the three, three forty-five that that MLB trade rumors projected. And if that's the case, I don't know if the Braves will be in that. You know, I think they were hoping his market would be smaller than that, and and they could maybe get some value. But that's, you know, that's going to be kind of at the top of his range, and so. But we'll see. You know, you never know if the Braves don't feel like they can sign one of the shortstops, but they still want to add some offense. Maybe they feel like that's their best bet. But we'll see. Uh, but they were linked to Hanniger. Um, obviously, the Braves have been linked to Degrom multiple times. Uh, again, I I really would not get my hopes up about Degrom. And then the biggest name is Dansby, and, and Rosenthal had the report a couple of weeks ago or about ten days ago now where. You know, he said if the Braves didn't sign Dansby, then they, they wouldn't sign any of the other free agent shortstops. They, he basically said it's Dansby or bust when it comes to the, the big four that are out there. And, and that's kind of the last we've heard about that. And, you know, I don't suspect we'll hear much more until a deal gets done. But Rosenthal is, listen, he knows his stuff. He, he's been in this game for a long time. He's very savvy. He knows when he's getting played. He's no one, he, he knows when he's, you know, being used to, to spread information front offices all the time will leak stuff especially to beat reporters you know a lot of stuff we heard this this recently about von grissom playing shortstop and the braves being comfortable with that and you know marcelo zuna thinking the Braves, you know thinking he'll have a bounce back year those are strategic leaks you know if you've been if you followed this long enough you kind of can tell when a team is using a strategic leak they're trying to get a certain message out there either to the public or to other teams or to you know potential free agents, agents, whatever, you know, a certain narrative. And most of the time, it's literally just a negotiating tactic. There's not much truth in it. I, I wouldn't put a lot of stock in the fact that it was leaked that the Braves are comfortable with Von Grissom at shortstop. That's just my opinion, but I, I, I would not spend a lot of time parsing that information into every, you know, detail you can you can find and, and figuring out what's true. I, I really do think it's just a negotiating tactic with Dansby. You know, they're trying to convince him that they don't need him, that they could they have a plan B without him and, and that obviously helps in leverage and negotiations and that's what all this stuff is. Listen, it's just controlled leaks. It's strategic leaks to try to get a one specific narrative out there to help reach whatever end you're trying to reach. And it's very common and beat writers are usually the the number one source for it because beat writers 
you know, are readily available. And, you know, especially this time of year when clicks are hard to come by, if you give them anything, any kind of information, they're going to run with it and they're going to write about it and tweet about it. And, you know, it's an effective way of getting a certain message out there. So just be on the lookout for that stuff. That That's very common. And Braves are no different. Alex is no different. He uses the media as a weapon, which is exactly what you should do when you're running a baseball team. You know, you want certain narratives out there, then use the media to do it. So, um, but yeah, I wouldn't put a lot of stock in it. I don't think the Braves actually are that all that interested in Von Grissom playing shortstop. And I don't think the Braves really care all that much if Marcelo Zuna has a bounce-back season. You know, they would trade him in a heartbeat if they could clear any of his money. So just keep, you know, take all that stuff with a grain of salt is probably the best way to say it. All right, we'll do some mailbag questions, and then we'll get out of here. So the first question that I had comes from Griffin Fletcher on Twitter. And he said, you guys have talked a lot about how the Braves overcame so many injuries uh, last year. Question is, which single player do you think the Braves can least afford to lose to an injury next year uh, without having a bad year because of it? So essentially he's asking who is the player that the Braves can least afford to lose next year. And, you know, that's a that's always a tricky question on a baseball team because baseball doesn't work the way other sports work where you're really leaning on one player, you know one player just doesn't have as much of an effect on a team as as they do in other sports. So there's probably not one, the, the honest answer is there's probably not any one player that would be so important to the Braves that if they lost them next year, they couldn't still have a good year. And that's, you know, that's kind of the brilliance of what Alex has done is he, he really hasn't put all of his eggs in one basket on one player. You know, he spread out the money to as many guys as he could, he spread at the talent level. You know, he's kind of made the team, I don't want to say injury-proof, because if you get enough injuries, obviously you can still it can still wreck your season, but he's kind of made it where he can withstand a certain number of injuries to basically any one player or any even one or two players and still be fine. The closest thing you could probably pick is a guy like Max Freed. You know, if you lose your ace, then that's probably going to be as big a deal as any one player could be. Because, the, you know, there's really nobody you could pick on offense because the the rest of the offense is probably going to be good enough to where you could see a scenario where they could survive that. But, you know, if you lost Max, if Max had an arm injury or something in spring training, that would probably be the biggest injury I could think of. You know, you could say maybe Iglesias on the back end, but relievers just don't add, they just don't pitch enough innings to, to, to change the game that much. And, and, you know, good relievers are always something you could find at the deadline which Alex has done a few times. So I think the answer to that question is probably Max. I actually don't know if there is another answer. I think Max would definitely be my number one answer. There's You guys might have a different opinion. Let me know. But I think Max is the number one answer there. All right. So number two, um, should the Braves trade, and this comes from Benjamin Pack, should the Braves trade Manny Pena? And this is something we've talked about quite a bit, uh, at least in our Slack group. We have this conversation like weekly at this point because it's such an interesting conversation about what what do you do when you have this much catching depth? The Braves have obviously they have William Contreras, they have Travis Darno, and they have Manny Pena all under contract for next year. And it's very unusual to have three major league catchers under major league contracts all in the same season. That's that's not typically what teams do. Typically teams have two guys and then they have you know, as much catching depth as you can get in the minors. And that's usually what they roll into the season with. And because of that, my opinion all the time, 
or for most of the year last year was once the Braves got to this point in the offseason that they, they would just trade Pena because Darno and, and Contreras are so good and, and they work so well together and it's a really good tandem. There's really no point in having a third guy and, and I really thought the Braves would trade Pena and clear, you know, he's owed $4 million next year, which is not not huge or anything, but, you know, the Braves are so close to the electric tax that I thought that $4 million would probably be more valuable than having Pena. And, and so that's kind of the assumption I've been under. And that's probably not an accurate assumption. There's probably is an argument to be made for keeping Pena, especially when you like to use Contreras as the DH as much as the Braves do. And of course, that ties this conversation to Ozuna. You know, you can't, if you have Ozuna on the team and he's the everyday DH or he has to DH a certain amount just because of how much money he makes, then do you still carry three catchers? And, you know, it's all connected. But there is an argument, there is a discussion to be had about whether or not it's just best to carry Pena, Darno, and Contreras. That way, you can always hit Contreras whenever you want, knowing you have another backup catcher on the team. And it's also not nearly as big a deal when you have a DH and you have 13 position players on every team. And by rule now, you have to have 13 position players and you obviously have the DH. And so when you have the DH, you just don't use your bench the way you used to. And, and now you have an extra bench spot. And so there is a, I mean, there's a decent argument for carrying Pena. There's a decent argument for trading him. So I wouldn't be surprised at either. I, I would still probably trade him. I think that his his money is actually going to end up being kind of important if they want to make a big move and, and still stay under at least some sort of you know threshold for the luxury tax. Maybe not the first threshold, but maybe the second threshold. Um, but we'll see. That's a good question. That's definitely one of the keys I'm looking for this off season is um, what do they do at catcher? It's tied to DH, and so you know what they do with Ozuna uh, matters with that as well. And then. There was a bunch of questions. I could have gone anywhere for this last one, but uh, the easiest one is from Jake. He said, what do you think the Braves opening day payroll is going to be? Like I've said, I, I, I don't think the Braves are going to use that first luxury tax line as a cap. You know, I could definitely see a scenario where they use the second threshold. I think the second threshold is uh, 255. I actually don't know off the top of my head what the second threshold is for the for the luxury tax, but I do think the Braves might be 263. I don't know why the number 263 is in my head. It might be that, but I do not think the Braves are going to worry all that much about the 232, which is the first threshold. I I do think they'll end up getting above that. Um, And if they want to sign anybody of any significance, they're going to have to get above it. I mean, we talked about that at the open. So, so if I had to guess now, I think the Braves payroll will be around, and I'm talking about the CBT payroll. Um, the cash payroll is, is a lot different because it doesn't factor in AAV the way the CBT does. But I think the Braves CBT payroll will be somewhere around $240 million next year. Um, I think they'll sign a, a decent-sized player this offseason. They might cut some money. I think they'll try to trade Pena. I don't think they'll be able to trade Ozuna. I do think they might try to trade Rosario to clear a little bit more money. But, yeah. 235, 240, 245, something in that range would not surprise me at all. And that still leaves you with enough flexibility. Um, it allows you to get under the tax next year if you need to, just because you're, you know, you're clearing Charlie Morton's 20 million next year and, and some other smaller deals. So um, I think that sounds about right to me, but we'll see. I, it wouldn't shock me if they went higher than that. It would, it would surprise me a little bit if they went lower because that just means they had a pretty quiet off season, but you never know with Alex. He might trade for somebody who makes no money and, and improve the team without spending a lot of money. So 
anything could happen. But yeah, I think that's going to do it for us today. Thank you guys for riding along. I know it was a solo podcast and hearing me talk for this long is probably, you're probably done with it, but I appreciate you guys listening. We will be back next week. Chris will be back. Um, we've already you know set it up for next week and, and we'll have the winter meetings done with at that point so we can actually review them and, and hopefully talk about some moves and hopefully talk about some Braves moves. That would be tremendous um, just to finally get to talk about something real happening instead of always talking about what could happen. But yeah, make sure to check out the site. Make sure to check out the podcast network. We've got a ton of shows. We've got the main show with Brad and Scott run once a week. We have the Daily Hammer with with Sean, who does a really good job kind of doing bite-sized stuff. And then obviously the show is once a week as well. And we try to dive a little bit deeper into subjects, but you know, when there's no subjects to even dive in at all, then, then deeper dives are tough. So hopefully we'll get some content here soon and some things to talk about, but I appreciate you guys following along. Have a great day and we'll talk to you next week. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.